He's a rehab doctor from Chicago. She's an emergency medicine doctor from the Twin Cities. Together, we're examining the health equity emergency. Inviting voices for change without the cue cards. I'm Dr. Carrie Haley. I'm Dr. Stephen Jackson. And And this this is is Off Off the the Charts. Charts. Welcome to the show. In this episode, we spoke with Dr. Nathan Chomolo, who is a Health Partners adult and pediatric physician, and he also serves as the Minnesota Medicaid medical director. We had a great conversation about what it means to be an anti-racist. Being an anti-racist or being an anti-racist organization, I think, requires us to kind of go back to the basics. Uh, what is racism? Uh, Dr. Chomolo does a great job of really talking about you know, what most people envision when they think of racism and what it is to be racist, so to speak. And a lot of times we have it all wrong because racism works and manifests in just so many different levels. But once you once you name it, then you have to talk about, well, what do we do about it? You have to start with terms that most people are likely familiar with or have some type of understanding around, and the first one being racist, right? And so when you hear that term and the way we kind of were grown up to think about that term for most of us, I should say, uh, myself included, is that, you know, racist is uh, like a person who's filled with hate and does these acts of overt, explicit bigotry. Or, you know, you think about the folks who are over at Charlottesville marching with torches. You think about the folks in the Capitol insurrection walking through the halls with the Confederate flag. And that's really clear uh, to you, you know, what racism is. And so that's, that's racist. Um, but I think you know what I've learned and what I think more and more of people are understanding is that racism works on many different levels, right? And so I like uh, Dr. Kamara Jones' definition of racism. So Dr. Jones is a, a family physician. She's a PhD epidemiologist and former president of the American Public Health Association. And over 20 years ago, she you know, published a paper on a framework around the levels of racism and how they impact public health. And so she has the levels of racism being, you know, uh, institutional racism, personally mediated racism, and uh, internalized racism. And she defines racism as a system of structuring opportunity based on uh, how someone looks, what we call race, um, that uh, uh, systematically uh, favors or advantages one community. And the coin, or the opposite of that coin, I should say, is that it disadvantages other communities and overall saps the, the strength and wastes human resources, right? And so um, if you have that understanding of what racism is, that it's not just these one-off acts or these individuals that are filled with hate and animus, but it's actually a system, then when you talk about being anti-racist, uh, then it is talking about what are you know actions and what's a belief or system that kind of works to dismantle uh, the racist um, outcomes of you know, these racist systems uh, and, and what what are, you know, as Dr. Ibram Kendi talks about, he says anti-racist policy, for example, is any policy that actually promotes racial equity, right? And so, uh, and so anti-racist is really about kind of identifying racism when you see it and then moving actively to uh, address it where you're, where you're at. And so, um, and so 
that's, I think, a good starting place for any individual. That's a good starting place for any organization if you're really thinking about diving into anti-racism and becoming anti-racist is to, to first know what your definitions are and then kind of that helps you go from there. And I think to kind of re- thinking about how he talked a lot about of that traditional thinking of racism, the bigotry acts, these are the bad things. It's it's a bad, you're a bad person when you're racist. Removing some of that and thinking more about the ways in racism can manifest itself and removing that connotation of bad person with it, I think really opens us up to about to naming it and then acting on it. You're going to tell in this conversation that I'm a big Dr. Kamara Jones stan because uh, I'm going <laughs> to cite her uh, several times. And, and you know, one thing she says uh, when she talks about how do you start addressing it is you, first got to identify it and kind of see where is racism acting where I'm at, right? Um, uh, and then once you're able – so you name it. So we know this is structural racism. You identify and see how it's acting where you're at. And then you work together, you know, with the communities that are impacted by it to actively uh, uh, dismantle it and, and, and its impacts. And so um, physicians have a lots of different ways that they can, and, or, or any healthcare provider, uh, because our healthcare systems um, really depend on so many different people and professions, have lots of different ways that they can identify it. And so the different kind of levers that you think of that pop to mind first are just in education, right? And how do we educate uh, the current and future uh, physicians and trainees and other healthcare providers. There's a lot in our medical education right now that bakes in ideas of uh, racial uh, biological racism and a biological basis of race, right? And so the idea that someone walks into my clinic, I look at their skin color, I think I know their race, and therefore I, I can tell them that their kidneys operate differently than someone else's is flawed science. Um, and we need to kind of challenge that. But that's something that, you know, is duplicated across uh, lots of different um, specialties um, and, and, and how we're even trained uh, to kind of think about race and health. And so there's been studies that have showed that, you know, white medical students and uh, white residents in 2015, and in one study about uh, 25% of residents who graduated medical school believe that black skin was thicker than white skin, right? Um, and that's a consequence of the, the ways that we're talked about, we're taught race in our education. And then, then that study also showed that if you believed any difference of biological difference of race, that that actually impacted your assessment for pain and, and your creation of a, a treatment plan. And so there are real impacts um, of uh, kind of some of the ways that we're taught about race. And so being anti-racist is really first understanding that dismantling it. I think it has uh, really starts with having a more systematic approach and understanding um, the, the systematic determinants of care right, and health and how then, you know, how uh, someone's ability to have uh, intergenerational wealth is t- tied to structural racism, how that intergenerational wealth uh, dep- uh, can impact where they live and their housing situation, the education they get, um, the food they have access to, the environments they grow up in and the environmental toxins that impact their health. And so if we, you know, focus just on what happens in between the doors of our hospitals and clinics, we're going to kind of miss an opportunity to be truly, you know, anti-racist. And some of that is actually working with our community. Some of that's informing our policymakers and under, helping them understand that when they, you know, build a highway here or zone a certain neighborhood this way, um, it actually has health impacts uh, that we will end up seeing on the 
back end, you know, and so, but they need to be informed down the uh, up front. And, you know, physicians, I think, have a, a, a unique place. Healthcare in general has a unique place to do it. And I'll kind of frame one other report that I helped work on was um, what Minnesota, what healthcare can do to address health inequities in Minnesota. It was done by the Wilder Foundation and United States of Care, published uh, in January of last year. Um, and it really kind of had this kind of systems framework of like the different levers that healthcare can really look at. And they talked about organizational level, the um, community level, and the policy level. Um, and uh, when it comes to being anti-racist, there's kind of like four main tenets that we can think of. One is, you know, we are healthcare providers. And so what can we do, and that kind of gets to kind of the training part, what can we do to be more anti-racist ourselves? Um, we are also employers, right? And so how can we make our systems uh, more welcoming to all and so that there's equal opportunity that are the way we pay people benefits like paid family medical leave and other things are, you know, equitably distributed across our organizations. We're a community partner, right? And so how do we engage with community and actually bring them in at the beginning and say, what are the problems you're seeing and what are some solutions that you are working on that you just need to help scale up versus saying, oh, we have the solution for you. You should do this. And then uh, that last part, like I talked about a little bit earlier, how do we talk about health in all policy? You know, healthcare systems are at a lot of tables. Uh, we have our own lobbyists and how can we use that to kind of actually have conversations around policy focused on health and equity? I think one of the things that Dr. Chomolo really spoke to is as we're thinking about dismantling racism, we first need to kind of figure out where we are in it. And then work on that next step, which is dismantling it. And then, as he says, doing that over and over and over. Rinse and repeat. Identify where you see it, where you are at. And that can start with your clinic or hospital. It can start with uh, your interactions with your colleagues or your staff or superiors. It can start in your community um, and, and kind of working with in your professional groups, uh, whether you're part of a, a, a physician specialty organization or not, or name it and then find where it's working in your life and then work together to dismantle it. And that's really the key. And, and there's, we talked about multiple different ways you could start to dismantle it, even you know if it's uh, talking about a book club to kind of get the same language, if it's talking about how you can use tools to uh, help inform choices on investments and, and policies, how you can uh, work to you know educate and put together resources for patients and families, um, but work together to dismantle it and then do it all again, right? It's an iterative process. Uh, and, you know, again, like to point out that these things have been built up over 400 plus years. It's not going to get fixed in one year, one budget cycle, one election cycle. Uh, we need to kind of have that long game and know that we're kind of helping, you know, move it so that, you know, hopefully our you know, my grandkids uh, don't have to have these same conversations um, and, and be fighting these same uh, battles. But, but I think we can definitely, you know, use this moment to catalyze and take a, a lot, much bigger step than we've taken in the last 20, 30, 40 years. We know that people make up organizations and people slash organizations make up societies. And it's important that when we talk about dismantling racism, uh, we have to first dismantle the racism in us or the, the racism that we operate in. But then when we look, you know, from a bigger standpoint, we have to be able to identify, meaning look and have an honest look in the mirror as to 
what are our policies uh, say? What messages do they send? Uh, are they are they racist in nature? Uh, do they benefit all or some? But these are difficult questions that we have to answer in order to, quote unquote, dismantle racism as an organization and a society. Having the conversation, yes. I think there's been a lot of sincere movement to have conversations, to create spaces to, to you know, where folks before can't get away with saying, I don't want to talk about structural racism and and walking out of the room and, and that type of thing. And, and even in some spaces that are, you know, predominantly white and, and male and historically have not been, you know, open or interested in that conversation. Um, I, I think I'm still struggling to see the next step, which is then the action, right? So we can talk about it, we can name it and say we are committed to this, but then, you know, how are we fundamentally changing what we are doing to be anti-racist. And that's what anti-racist is, right? It's how do you actually change the systems and structures that have been built up over 400 plus years through slavery and land seizure and Jim Crow and disproportionate incarceration uh, that we've seen? How do you actually change policies and systems to correct those. And I think, you know, one thing to watch closely is uh, like COVID vaccination, COVID-19 vaccination. What are we doing fundamentally and how we allocate it? And what are we doing fundamentally and how we uh, help uh, folks overcome barriers and not make excuses like it, they're more hesitant. And so that, that's why the numbers are lower. Um, I think that will be like the first, the first big challenge. And then I think, you know, there's a lot of conversations around, um, you know, how do we actually intentionally be active, actively anti-racist with our, our policies beyond just, you know, hiring more black folks or doing implicit bias trainings, um, you know, what, wh how are we paying folks? What are the benefits we offer that, you know, we know help lift people out of not, not only poverty, but help overcome some of these barriers? How do we look at how we structure schools and, and, and things like that? So, so I think there's a lot ahead of us to see if, you know, this is truly another moment or if it kind of fades back in to the background again and folks get back to kind of things as they were beforehand and say that was like a really, you know, tragic uh, occurrence, um, uh, but we're, we're better now. And I, I've even recently kind of tweeted out, like, I don't think we can use the words racial reckoning because reckoning means like a settlement of accounts. And we have not done any settlement. There's maybe like a racial awakening or reawakening um, to, to issues, but there's been no settlement yet. As we closed out this conversation, uh, Dr. Chomolo really challenges us to move to action. It's easy to make big statements as an organization about how we're committed to being anti-racist or how we're going to treat our black and brown people better going forward. But now that the statements have been made and the promises have been made, now we have to really think about how do we honor that? How do we make good on these promises? And so as we move forward and as we attempt to be an anti-racist organization and society, we have to turn our words into action and commit to it. And I love that it's that commitment and that we end with that because it is a commitment and it's not something that we've talked about changing overnight. This is something, a promise that you have to continue to show up for and continue to do the work for. This idea of actually sharing power and resources in decision making. And so, um, you know, I think uh, that starts with uh, really truth and reconciliation. So, 
let's have a conversation about where we've gone wrong as med- as you know a medical institution and a medical practice uh let's let's talk and acknowledge that we haven't treated uh black and brown people the same throughout our history and in in fact we, it's not just not treating them the same there's been straight up abuse uh, and straight up violation of that trust and so i think that truth and reconciliation is really key to part of this and so you know um you know in, in heartened by you know the american medical association which is you know in the last year or so put out a couple uh, statements and even the american academy of pediatrics put out a statement about you know we years ago didn't allow black physicians into our organization um, or we have lionized people who were blatantly racist in their past, right? And we need to do better moving forward. And so I think part of that first step is key. And so thinking and hearing, you know, so some might have, maybe we don't, again, know our, our blind spots and think, oh, no, we've never treated anyone poorly. So maybe it's getting, you know, community uh, together and hearing where we've gone wrong and, and acknowledging that and processing that. And then, yeah, the hard work of like, how do you build trust going forward after you uh, have that truth laid out? And I think the having community at the table to help um, design and uh, take part and have control over some of the resources at our uh, uh, that we have at our uh, fingertips to to address these you know, problems and create these solutions uh, is key. And then I think consistently doing it. Because, uh, you know, easy to come and say, oh, we solved this one problem and now we're going to go help this other community. Um, but w- when you built that relationship and you were successful, like, why do you leave? <laughs> and, and then allow, you know, people start having ideas of other things they could work with and, and how they could continue to help their community. And so how do you create that ongoing investment in the community? How do you create, you know, this ongoing shared uh you know power which i keep saying over and over but that's what i haven't like quite seen in many places is you know it's a lot of a model of you need to create your own 501c3 you need to show us the data that your intervention works um and then we'll fund you right instead of like let's work together and let's actually fund people who are doing the work and move from there in a more iterative uh, process and so I think that would go a long way towards helping, but I think you're right. It, it it's going to take a while uh, to repair the trust that's been violated. Um, I'm hopeful that you know we continue to find ways through COVID-19 vaccination to kind of show that we, we mean different this time. Um, and this is just the start. Like we're not going to like create all these infrastructures to deliver a vaccine. And then once, you know, the pandemic is done, it's like, all right, we don't need to keep engaging anymore. Um, you know, close up that mobile vaccination, you know, unit. We don't need to keep going out in the communities and, and offering education and resources. Like, no, let's keep using these kind of infrastructures that we're building right now to continue to invest in kind of a more just healthcare system. Off the Charts is a production of Health Partners and Park Nicolet. It is recorded by Jimmy Bellamy with creative by Peggy Arnson, Tina Long, Tim Myers, and Jeff Jondahl. Production services provided by Matriarch Digital Media. Our theme music is by Ryan Ike.